0: Thanks, Miko. So what is this deeper church stuff all about anyway? That's what we've kind of been unpackaging these last weeks, and we want to continue uh, that discussion. Uh, We're talking about what it might look like if we would dare to become a deeper church. In order to get to a common destination, uh, we must have a common language. And so uh, last week, we defined the word church like this. It is a noun, which of course is a person, place, or thing. And the dictionary would tell us that the church is a building for public Christian worship, or it can be the whole body of Christian believers. Those are two very different concepts. One says it's a building, the other says it's a body. And again, one's alive. One's not. So these are really radically different concepts, and we kind of unpackage the way that you've been raised, those of you, <clears throat> excuse me, that have been raised in the church, uh, view the church and challenged you with that thinking. Uh, and for those of us that weren't raised in the church, uh, what exactly is this thing we call the church? <clears throat> and so I think it's important that we define words if we're going to get to where we want to go. And do that together. So we look at the church and we see there is the usage of the word church. And it has a big C. That means we're referring to the church universal. The church worldwide. Which includes every believer from all the ages. From everywhere. Everybody that's been a follower of God throughout history. It comprises then the church. The church universal. The church with a big C. Now, when we use the word church with a small c, we're referring to a specific group of people that meet in a specific place. So we become then the local church, um, and we are part then of the universal church. Does that that all make sense to you? That's pretty basic. Okay, We all get that? Okay, Uh, The one thing they have in common, however, is that whenever we use the word church, either with a big c, Or a small c, it never, ever refers to a building in the Bible. Never. Never. And so uh, last week, if you didn't have a chance to listen to that message, I encourage you to do so. Uh, It is online uh, for your listening pleasure. But we ask the question then, where do the first Jesus followers then meet? If, in fact, the word church never refers to a building... And it's pretty low priority. Where did the first church meet? Where did the early Christians meet? Homes, Homes, that's correct. They met in homes. They met in homes where people were already living in deep relational community and connection. They were family. They were friends. They were neighbors. They were people you work with. So when the church was born, it was comprised then of individuals who were already living in deep relational connection. Now Jesus enters into that and steps into that whole concept. We're already living together relationally. Now we add Jesus into that mix. And then something special happened anytime Jesus is added into the mix. And so as we think about this and we flash forward to today, to our lifetime, to living here in America... Please understand the idea of traveling to a building to sit in a space with strangers and consume religious entertainment spouted by a worship band and your highly paid pastor to communicate is not biblical. So what are we doing here? By definition, this really isn't the church. Or is it? Nowhere in Scripture we find people traveling to a building to consume and be entertained with religious stuff or to get my tank filled for the week. Now, just because it's not biblical does not mean it's wrong, but I think we need to be challenged with the concept that what is the church then? Because most of us in this room have little to do with each other outside of this hour on Sunday, which would be definitely opposed and contradictory to the birth of the church in the first century. What is the church? It's a great question that's what your leaders are wrestling with wrestling with god with where do you want us to go lord what is this whole thing supposed to look like we live in a different day here in this country unlike most believers throughout the ages and most believers living in the world today most jesus followers we have the privilege of a church building do you understand how rare this is Most believers in the world today have no concept of what it means to meet in a building. They are meeting under great threat of persecution, a great threat of retaliation simply for following Jesus so they can't be identified. And when you go to church, you don't go home the same way as you went to church because others are watching you. And so what do we do then? What? How do we do this thing? We've got these buildings that have become then what we consider the Church. Today, what a privilege God has blessed us with with church buildings. It really is a gift. It really is. So we have a church building in two weeks where Sam mentioned we're going to celebrate what God has done in and through this building that we call home to Southside Church for the last twenty years. This church was started in 1967. It's been pastored by very godly men who have said to every single person that has walked through this church in one way or another, Our church has never been about the building. The godly men who have come before me have said that. The church is not the building, the church is the people in the building. So uh, I agree with that, I, I and we all would agree with that, and yet buildings are an important, important factor. Now, your, the pastors that have gone before me have taught that it's about doing life with people together. That's the essence of the church, doing life together. With people. And so uh, we've had these church work days, and again, I'm so appreciative of the many who have uh, participated. Uh, we've been packing for months uh, here in the office and just preparing uh, for a move. And Crossroads, who is purchasing this building, has said, We really don't want anything. We want it to go to the bare walls. We, don't, we want you to clear it out. And that means the people. So let me just say this about that. Pastor Jeff and I have had some very intimate conversations through this whole process over the last couple of years, and he has said to me that if anyone from Southside chooses to stay with the building, uh, you're going to have some hoops to jump through. Uh, Crossroads does not want anything in the building, including the people. So if you choose to remain here, you will have to go before, before Crossroads leadership, and they are going to ask you, why are you still here? Uh, it, it's kind of like buying a house. How many of you bought a house in the former residence uh, remained in there? That, that would be kind of weird, wouldn't it? It'd be kind of weird. And that's what Crossroads is saying to us. Because our churches are on different mission tracks, and if the church truly is the body of Christ, uh, you don't jump ship unless God has directed you to do that, and you better be able to give evidence that that is, in fact, God's calling. Okay? So I'm I'm just saying that up front. Uh, If you want to stay with the building because you like the building, it's convenient. uh, 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 Jeff and I see the church the same way. It is the body of Christ. And so I just thought I'd throw that one out there. Okay? Everything goes. That's what they said. Everything thing goes. And that's why we're packing. That's why we're doing what we're doing. Now, as we learned last week, the word church or ecclesia means called out ones, a gathering or assembly. It was a very common term. Nothing specific as we would know the term church today in Koine Greek of the first century very common term, and uh, this meant any, any type of gathering of people, and that included town meetings or the place where the community hung out to, to, to kind of debate uh, what was going on and issues within that community, or it's a place where people just hung out. So uh, when Jesus mentions the word church, his disciples would have interpreted in the common usage uh, that it was currently had in the first century. Right. And so the first time the word church is mentioned is Matthew sixteen eighteen, And here's what Jesus said. I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. First usage of the word church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. That's an amazing statement that Jesus is making there in Matthew 16. And Jesus said he would build his church. Jesus said he would build the church, and he commanded us to go and make disciples. The action, the verb parts of this, he will build the church. We are told to make disciples. Now, in our day, oftentimes we get that thing totally backwards. And we build churches, and we say, Jesus, make disciples. Uh, That's not the way that he had uh, laid this thing out from the beginning. He said, I will build my church. You go and make disciples. That's the correct order. And that's what we need to be about as well. Letting Jesus build his church as we go about his business of making disciples. Notice again that he said, I will build my church. He is the builder. He is the architect. He is the owner. He is the head of the church. We all understand that. And so when the disciples first heard this, they had to be thinking not about a building, it certainly wasn't about a building. It wasn't about an organization. They could have never imagined what the church has become, as Jesus mentions this for the first time to them, taking this common gathering word and now making something uh, very specific out of it. Huh. So we look at the fact that on the powerful day of Pentecost, as recorded in Acts chapter 2, the church was born. It was Jesus' church. He said he would build it. It was an organism full of life because the power of the Holy Spirit was upon them. And without the Holy Spirit, we're in deep water. There cannot be any church. So let's review. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. All of the believers. weren't a whole lot of them. Weren't a whole lot of them, but they're all meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house, not the stadium. They filled the house where they were meeting. This is all the believers. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. This one that Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father is sent to you. The promise is the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. That's what he was talking about, right? And so here comes the Holy Spirit. Here he comes, and he fills each of them. And when the Holy Spirit filled them, the church was born. But we can see the evidence then of the filling of the Holy Spirit, not in the issue of tongues, it's not at all what it's talking about, rather the transformed lives of the individuals who were waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And here's what it looked like then. Here's what it looked like. All the believers devoted themselves, this is the same Acts chapter 2, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And again, all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They worshiped together at the temple each day met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. This was the characteristic of the early church. Now, understand Jesus was hated in Jerusalem. They killed him. Now uh, his followers, again not real popular uh, with the Romans in this time, were filled with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. The people were accepting of these believers, the people that they had already known, they were already living in communion with. Suddenly their lives are transformed and they have this joyful generosity about them that was attractive. And so we continue to read. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It was because of the great joy and generosity. Not the political stand. Not their view of social issues. Had nothing to do with it. They they were touched by the power of the Holy Spirit. They were filled with great joy, great generosity, ultimately great love. And this was an incredible attraction for all those around them. And this was the birth of the church. It's an amazing, amazing kind of story. And we read on. All the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. And Jesus' words become true. They will know you are my disciples. How? By your love, your love for one another. And suddenly people are attracted to this thing. And they enjoyed the goodwill of the people around them. Now persecution was soon to come because of this. But understand, there was this radical transformation as the Holy Spirit came and filled each of them. Now, of course, any organism needs organization and structure. What would you look like if you didn't come with bones as standard operating equipment in your body? What if you didn't have bones in your body? What would you look like? Spaghetti. That's a good one. What's that blobby cartoon character? That does? Anyway, you'd look like that. Is it a good look when one or more of your bones show if we could see your bones. Now, how many of you have broken bones in your body? I'm just curious. What? That's it. Wow, well, OK, that surprises me in this unofficial survey. Uh, and if you've, I've broken a number of bones in my body over the years, and uh, sometimes they protrude, they, they kind of stick out. Is that a good look? No. Dr. Jeff, is that a good look? No. It's not a good look. It's not a good look on anybody. Your bones are supposed to stay on the inside, right? And that's where organization should be as well. The church was brought into existence through the power of the Holy Spirit. Sadly, what began in the Spirit has often, way too often, been sustained through human effort, through human ideas of what the church should be. And that's gotten us in all kinds of trouble. Just look at church history. It's not a pretty picture. A.W. Tozer A man I greatly respect, an Alliance pastor, uh, I believe a prophet of the 20th century, perhaps the greatest prophet of the 20th century, wrote this, the Holy Spirit can be taken from many churches today and no one would even know he's gone. Ouch. We're grinding and running on our own bureaucracy and our own human wisdom. Oh, that's dangerous. That is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. And sadly, organized religion is still too often a barrier. (sighs) Organized religion is still too often a barrier that needs to be overcome in order that people can get close to Jesus. That grieves me to even say that. The organization of the church becomes a barrier that needs to be overcome in order that people can encounter and grow in Jesus. What are we doing? What are we doing in every community, including the one that you live in, the one that I live in, has countless folks that have been injured by the institution and offended by the organization called the church. How many of you have been hurt by the church? Yeah, you're just going, eh, 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 eh. I've been hurt by the church. I've been devastated by the church including that casualty count are members of my own family, my own children. Huh. What are we doing? The reasons most give church members seem judgmental and or hypocritical. I never felt connected. I disagreed with the church's stance on political, social issues. The list goes on and on and on. But the challenge, the challenge of becoming a deeper church is how do we position the church so that it's not propelled by organization, but that organism is the priority. Life in the Holy Spirit becomes the priority. How do we do that? What would that look like? And all too often the organization of the church has displaced the organism of the living body of Christ. So how do we get this back into alignment? The church has been bogged down with bureaucracy, run like an organization. That's not good. That's not good. And I think it's got to show up even in the way we do business. And one of the things uh, that I was just compelled to do several years ago. When I came here, as of every church I've pastored over the last 35 years, has a boardroom with a boardroom table in which men sit around making decisions in a board-like atmosphere that smacks to me of the corporate world that I left to come into the ministry. And it grieves me. It grieves me. This is his church. It's his church. It's not our church. How dare we even attempt to sit around and make decisions? Now, here, as in churches I pass, they're they're godly men. They are seeking the wisdom of God. But even the structure that we use. So, one of the decisions that we made: get rid of the boardroom. Get rid of the boardroom table. You won't find one in this church. And by gum, by golly, you're not going to find one at 1807 here either. Because I believe that men ought to get down on their knees and ask Jesus what he wants. Because it's his church. It is not our church. He will build the church. That is his responsibility to build it. That's not mine. My responsibility is to make disciples of all nations. Right? Right? And so let's be reflective of that. And the men, your leaders, get down on their knees and they ask Jesus, show us. Holy Spirit, fill us. What do you want? Where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? What's next for us, Lord? That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. I hope you do as well. So then the question becomes, how will we as a church respond to our culture? more personally how do we respond to people who don't see the world like we do what are we going to do as a church we represent the church we represent Jesus what does a deeper church look like giving the religious extremes even of our day of silence or violence it seems to be the response is either silence or violence how are we going to engage our culture as a deeper church a group of connected people that love each other and love God how do we do this exactly Well, when it comes to responding to others, here's the way the church looks sometimes. First one, circle the wagons. Circle the wagons, which is silence. It's silence. Religious groups have retreated in convents and communes and camps and caves and compounds to escape the corruption of the sinful world. Let's just detach ourselves. Let's just kind of do our own thing and let the world be the world. Yet even the true church has been silent, submissive in the face of great evil. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. We are to permeate the world as salt and light does. That is our mission, right? Not to retreat from it, but to attack it. The way that Jesus stepped into the darkness. He asked us to do the same thing. But we retreat. We don't want to risk being labeled intolerant or narrow-minded or whatever labels are being put on those who would dare stand up. Many churches are a little more than holy huddles, hoping that we could just hang on until Jesus comes. Oh, help us. Help us if we can just hang on just a little bit longer. Jesus is coming, right? And pastored by paranoid pastors who try to please everybody so nobody leaves and we're not advancing. Are you kidding me? I don't know if you have looked at church stats recently, but the Christianity is rapidly, rapidly declining in this country. And it will continue to do so. While those claiming no religious affiliation, those numbers are skyrocketing. Just expanding. It's just, this is an amazing kind of point we are in history. I think it's very exciting, personally. I think we are being sifted by the Holy Spirit. Uh, in preparation for what's to come. So anyway, the other religious extreme is also among us. Stomp them out. Stomp them out. Stomp out those sinners. Violence. If we, violence. If we can't convert them, we might as well kill them. Right? <laughs> Uh, Before you chuckle at that, be careful. The terrorist attacks of 9-11 have brought the teachings of Islam uh, to light in this country. And that's a good thing. One of the words that uh, we should all have heard and know is the term jihad. Jihad simply means struggle. That's what the word means. It simply means struggle. Now, this struggle can be external or internal. It can be physical. It can be spiritual. Most of the Muslims living in our world emphasize the spiritual dimension of jihad. Very similar to Paul saying, for example, in Ephesians chapter 5, that there's war going on between us, between the flesh and the spirit, and they're just hammering each other. And this jihad is this physical structure uh, struggle between that which we can see and that which we can't see. And so it's a spiritual struggle going on within the individual. Now, extremists have grabbed the hold of this and said, uh-uh, uh, this is an external and political struggle, and they have tipped the world on its ear with great horror and great abuse using this term. Verses from the Quran state, fight and slay the pagans wherever you find them and seize them. Beleaguer." them and lie in wait for them in every stratagem. This is known as the verse of the sword in the Quran. Another verse. Those that make war against Allah and his apostle and spread disorders in the land shall be put to death or crucified or have their hands and feet cut off on alternate sides or be banished from the country. Doesn't that sound pleasant? Let's cut off our feet and hands on alternate sides. Right? And before we say that this is a far-fetched way to deal with the evils of society, some claiming to be Christians aren't far behind. I'm just giving us extremes. I do understand that. Here's a portion of the mission statement of a Christian militia group. We want an America where we are each allowed to carry as much firepower as we can afford. We want an America that speaks English. It was good enough for Jesus. It's good enough for us. Let me, I'm trying, I'm still, I heard this, I I still don't get that one. Where do we go with that? I don't know what to say about that. In America that allows us to shoot anyone who might break a law. In America that doesn't have all these weird people. I've got to leave then. Sorry. In America that makes more gladiator movies. In America where homosexuals aren't allowed to use their superpowers to get us to do naughty things. In short, in America, for Americans. American. American. Yeah. Okay. So the publication Militia Watchdog keeps tabs on militia groups, and they have noted that most militia groups have a strong Christian background and a mistrust of government. Now, I think about that. Do I have a strong Christian background? Yes. Do I have a mistrust of government? Yes. Uh, am I in a militia? No. No. So uh, watch labels being put on. But they're saying that all 50 states have organized militias and call it the, quote, largest, most widespread, and possibly the most dangerous threat to peace and safety. Christian militia groups. Um, uh, Again, before you chuckle about this, let me just say I know of a Christian Missionary Alliance church in the state of Wisconsin. I don't know if it's part of their men's ministry but they have formed a Christian militia. And these boys do their weekend warrior things where they get in their camels and they take their guns and they go out and they have stockpiles and reserves and all this stuff waiting for the apocalypse to come and they're going to defend the borders. And this is a part and well-known in the church. And I'm just like, what is going on here? here?" (laughs) Anyway, enough of that. Let me wrap this up. Certainly the discussion of extreme responses could continue ad nauseum, and after a while, that's what it becomes for me, ad nauseum. If silence and violence have not worked well, what should be the response of the Jesus follower and his church to the hurting and broken? That's the deeper church discussion your leaders continue to wrestle with. And I hope you pray for us. Because I don't think the church going forward has got to look, can look like it does now. Because it's sure not working. I would ask, how does God respond to people who don't believe or behave like he intends? How does God respond to them? How does God respond to people who are hurting and broken yet outside of his love? How does he respond to them? Maybe that should be our response. What do you think? Should we not respond in like manner? So what does that mean? And let me just close with a couple of things that have been on the hearts of me and your leaders. Uh, from the inside, a deeper church has got to look multigenerational and multicultural. It's got to be a family. You've heard me say that, but uh, we're beginning now to unpackage what that might be. I, I'm a strong believer that the church must be multigenerational you know we are one of the few churches in our community evangelical that have the kids stay in for worship you understand that most kids are sent right off to their children's ministry right i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that but i believe we're going to be intergenerational our kids have to see us worship our kids have to see us pray our kids have to see what big church what 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 we're doing up here not carting them off. And so uh, we've got you know ministry for this age group and this age group and this age. We keep dissecting this thing into little parts when I believe the church should be multi-generational. It's got to be a family. The older should be teaching the younger. This is all biblical principle, right? Right? You know, and we're fragmenting the family, the very thing that we should be bringing together. That's just heavy on the hearts of your leaders. Just want to want you to know these kinds of things, right? We believe the church should be a family. We should be eating together more, which we're going to make arrangements to do, right? In the new facility. So, so the idea being we've got to be a multi generational family. We also must be multicultural. What does that mean? What does that look like? How do we do that? And just because we have some non Caucasians on the platform in worship, that does not make us a multicultural church. I hope you hear what I'm saying. I'm wondering. What is a multicultural church? And I've been studying this for years and years and years. I can assure you, we cannot even begin the conversation of us being multicultural until people of other ethnic backgrounds are making decisions for the future and the vision of the church. We have all Caucasian leadership. Good or bad? I don't know. I don't know. I can tell you this, it's not reflective of our community in any way, shape, or form because our community in Sheboygan is changing rapidly. And the church is filled with 50, 60 year old Caucasian white guys that won't give up power and let it go and, and look at the community the way it is and say, how can we be more reflective? I'm not talking about affirmative action. Don't die. stop that. The idea being, should not the church be reflective of the community in which we live? And should not the leadership of the church be a reflection of the diversity of God that comes together in unity when we learn to love one another in our differences? Should this not be the way that it works? And so as we look at what is multicultural, what is multicultural, uh, we're just in the process of, of looking at all this and, and what does it mean and how do we pull this all together? And we're not going to put a person just because their skin color is different in a position just because that's the way it should be. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about looking at the spiritual qualifications of leadership and perhaps broadening our, our understanding of, okay, this is more than a Caucasian world that we live in. And that really excites me. Having come from international churches to this church, the thought of us truly becoming multicultural is something that I've dreamed about ever since I've been here. And I believe the time is now. I believe God is moving us in that direction. So that's what it looks like from the inside. This inner or multicultural, multigenerational family. Living for Jesus together. On the outside, it just means love. It means loving our neighbor. It means partnering with organizations that are already making a difference in our community, and there are a number of them. We'll talk more about that. But we see the facility as a launch pad into our community. That's why we're part of the reason we're heading out is we want that facility to be a launch pad into our community. That outward kind of focus. And you're gonna be hearing more about that. But next week we'll continue this conversation and we're gonna give you the opportunity to speak into it. What do you think a deeper church is? What do you think a deeper church looks like? What do you think about it? Bob, what do you think about it? Next week. Next week. Okay. He's gonna think about it. that's a good thing. That's a good thing. All right? All right? And we're gonna answer some questions. We're gonna answer some questions. I think a great question that that has been asked of your leaders goes like this. What in the world do you think is going to change if we aren't an outreach, community-minded church here at this location? What switch is going to be flipped that suddenly we're going to be an outreach-minded church when we get to 1807 Erie? It's the same people. It's the same congregation. I think it's a great question. Let me take just a partial shot at that before we discuss it next week. Having been around the horn a little bit, I have a sense of when God is moving, and I have this sense that God is doing something here. And I'm one the I'm a show me kind of guy, and so I want evidence. What evidence you got? I got evidence. You know how many weeks we went in a row we had to add chairs in here. That hasn't happened in a long time. We're seeing a regular stream of visitors coming here that we haven't seen. I can't get you guys out of here after a service. I'm here like an hour after the service, and you guys are like, yeah, da, 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 da. I'm like, go home, go home. Would you? Let's go home. But that's an indicator that the Holy Spirit is working. Were we on the nominating committee this year, oh my goodness, the number of people that are saying yes to serving I'm looking at some of you that have been uh, sitting for a while and, and now you've been tapped on the shoulder and you say, we see Jesus in you. You want to be a part of what God is doing and taking us to the next round? People say, yes, yes, I want to be a part of that. And people are stepping up and serving. You. It's just, wow, I've not seen it since I've been here. But that, you see, is an indication that the Holy Spirit is moving. That excites me. I don't think... I don't think the congregation that's going to make the move and the jump to 1807 is the same congregation we had a year ago. Now, your faces might look the same, but I believe the Holy Spirit is doing something right now in us together. And I'm seeing evidence of this that I know is God. I know that it's God because only he could do this. He will build his church. He will build it. And when he does it, we want to be ready to make disciples, right? And so this really excites me. God is stirring. I hope you can sense it. I hope you can sense it because it's happening. This is supernatural. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And so that greatly encouraged me. We are not the same congregation. And man, when I look at these work days and I see the number of young people who are just here for hours and hours and hours just doing all this stuff, it just oh, that is really, really good stuff. God is moving. God is moving. So next week, we're going to take a shot at at some of your comments and some of your questions. And we're going to continue this journey. What does it mean to be a deeper church? What does that look like? How is it going to be different? Ah, this is good stuff. It's really good stuff. Okay, anybody got a question or comment before we close?